0: Appearing malnourished, showing signs of physical injuries and abuse, avoiding eye contact, social interaction, and authority figures, law enforcement, seeming to adhere to scripted or rehearsed responses and social interaction, lacking official identification documents, appearing destitute, lacking personal possessions, working excessively long hours living at place of employment checking into hotels and motels with older males and referring to those males as boyfriend or daddy which is often street slang for pimp poor physical or dental health tattoos or branding on the neck and or lower back untreated sexually transmitted diseases small children serving in a family Hi, you guys. Welcome to Education Beyond the Classroom with me, Allison. Those are actually signs of human trafficking that I just shared with you. Now, today's episode, what I want to do is share with you three different stories that not they don't necessarily confirm that those are the definitive signs of human trafficking. It goes much deeper than just the outside visual. And I, again, am just here to raise awareness about it. And you guys educate beyond this, but I'm going to be sharing this entire week, stories and messages about human trafficking. So go ahead, screw in those earbuds, slap on the headphones. Let's turn up the volume, because here's story number one. This is actually about a flight attendant who identifies a trafficker and a trafficking victim. Here it goes. Something in the back of my mind told me that something was not right. Sheila Fedrick, a flight attendant working for Alaska Airlines, told reporters, the girl looked like she had been through hell. Frederick was working on a flight from Seattle to San Francisco, United States, when she noticed on board a well-dressed older man traveling with a teenage girl that she said looked disheveled and out of sorts. Frederick tried to speak to the pair, but the girl remained silent and the man became defensive. It was at that moment that the flight attendant decided to leave a note for the girl in the restroom and instructed her discreetly. To go to the restroom, she wrote on the note that she needed help, said Frederick, who immediately informed the pilot. police officers were waiting at the planes terminal in San Francisco on arrival and were able to confirm that the young girl was a victim of human trafficking. so I do want to share with you that is a story that I did share with my um, students. They actually watched a video on it and this young lady, the flight attendant, she was very astute and observant about the situation that was going on. They are, they, meaning law enforcement, human trafficking advocates, are training more and more um, individuals about the signs of human trafficking. So all the flight attendants are trained on what to look for. And there are more and more businesses that are becoming aware of this so they can see the signs. Now, I am going to share with you a totally different story um, about human trafficking. So hold on a second. Um, This one is about Carlos. So This is when the family's involved in the trafficking. So Carlos, he was 16 when members of his family invited him to move to the United States from Guatemala under the pretense of getting a better education. When he made the journey, he soon discovered that instead of going to school, he was going to be forced to work. Carlos's mother told him she had spent $10,000 to get him into the United States and that he would need to repay this debt. Carlos worked in construction 12 hours a day, six days a week. He never knew the name of the company he worked for because his employment was arranged entirely by his stepfather, who took Carlos's money and told him this was in return for rent food, and the debt associated with Carlos's journey to the United States. One day after several months, Carlos confronted his mother and stepfather and refused to return to work. At this point, they left him behind, and Carlos began working odd jobs but could not pay the rent. Soon, he had nowhere to live. So Carlos found a phone number for a government agency that helps undocumented minors in the United States. He reached out and he received a caseworker. Thanks to the United States National Human Trafficking Hotline operated by Polaris, it's called the Polaris Project, Carlos is now receiving government services, and his case has been referred to law enforcement for investigation. So Carlos was put in a position of debt bondage by his mother and his stepfather, so he would never have been able to pay off the $10,000 because all the work that he was doing was going to rent and food and um... Let's oh, yeah, it's so rent food shelter, so that's a different type of human trafficking, and that is not actually um easy to detect, so I'm gonna read another story, you guys there's there's just so many stories, and I just again want you to understand. You need to be aware and be leery, because there's a lot of online stuff. I'll be sharing that this week, too, that um, people get lured in. So this story is actually about Jennifer. And Jennifer's 15 years old, and she was having difficulty adjusting to her family's move to Georgia. She was lonely. She fought with her mother constantly. So she ended up online and just she took refuge online. And that's where she ended up meeting Roslyn, who is a 25 year old living in New York City. So they developed this relationship, and Jennifer explained her circumstances, telling Roslyn she wanted to leave Georgia. After seeing Jennifer's photos, Roslyn told Jennifer she could be a successful model. Rosalind, sensing Jennifer's urgency, she wanted to get out of there, encouraged her to come to New York City. So Rosalind arranged for Jennifer's bus ticket, picked her up from Port Authority one Thursday afternoon. The two spent the next week dining out, shopping, partying. In addition to introducing Jennifer to new people, Rosalind introduced Jennifer to marijuana, ecstasy, and cocaine. Jennifer lived in Rosalind's apartment for several weeks. Jennifer was happy enjoying her new life in New York City. But one afternoon, Rosalind told Jennifer she was having trouble paying the rent. She asked her to help her out. So Rosalind suggested that Jennifer start dancing at a club that Rosalind knew about. It would be great money and a good way for Jennifer to meet people. So eager to help and fearful of losing her place to stay, Jennifer agreed. A few more weeks passed, Rosalind's demeanor changed. She grew hostile. Rosalind began restricting Jennifer's movement and monitoring her telephone conversations. With increasing urgency, she insisted that Jennifer pay off the debt she was accumulating. Then she proposed a solution. She would set Jennifer up with a friend who would pay Jennifer to have sex with him. When Jennifer protested, Rosalind threatened to call Jennifer's mother and tell her about Jennifer's drug use. Jennifer reluctantly agreed. That was the beginning of the cycle. In several weeks, Jennifer was having sex with approximately three men a week. So we don't know how many times, you guys, that he she was having sex with those three men a week. So it was a rotating um situation about a month later, Jennifer, she just could no longer take it, so she actually fled Rosalind's apartment, called her mother. her mother contacted the King's County District attorney's office, and they contacted the police department and fortunately, um, Jennifer was able to be rescued and over time um, shared her story and Jennifer refused to testify though before the grand jury. So, consequently, the Kings County District Attorney's Office has been unable to prosecute the case. So that is a case in point where sometimes you feel like if You go into it, and you do tell the entire story. There's going to be repercussions. She might get hurt. The men might come after her. Rosalind might come after her. So that actually, that story was reprinted from the New York State Judicial Committee on Women in the Courts. So those are three different stories. My point being, you guys, we sometimes don't see the trafficking because it's hidden in plain sight. But there are certain things you can look for in people. If you think something's going on, if their demeanor changes, if they become more withdrawn, kind of like those signs of depression, if their personality has completely changed um, and there's just no justification for it, start checking things out. Finding out who that person you're concerned about is hanging with. I know as a teacher and looking at some of my students, those are the things that I would pay attention to. Um, did their demeanor change? Um, were they uh, not as talkative compared to what they used to be? And I will tell you this 100% eye contact, eye contact, eye contact. That is huge. And then the other thing, when it comes to younger kids, you guys, um, it's going to be uh, their complete wardrobe has changed. So what, um, and I'll go into this in a different episode, what traffickers do is to lure them in, um, not necessarily in Jennifer's case, but um, they will groom them and start buying them things and new clothes and get their nails done, their hair done, but then... They will become disheveled from the constant abuse and use of being sexually exploited. All right, that's enough for today. Oh my God, I went way over. I thought I would be not talking as much. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I appreciate you jumping on. And remember to take care of yourselves. And always, always keep on learning so you keep on living, because learning is truly the essence of life. We will catch you on the flip side. Peace out.